Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. We're thrilled to be in conversation today with Dr. W. Franklin Richardson, the lead pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York. Thank you, Dr. Richardson, for sharing your time and wisdom with us today as we talk about flourishing in ministry. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Dr. Goldley. Uh, It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to have this opportunity to share insight. Thank you much. We've been participating in a journey with a number of pastors around flourishing in ministry, and we've been using some key metaphors, and one of them is the metaphor uh, of a tree that says that sometimes there are leaves on a branch, sometimes there are blooms and blossoms, sometimes the leaves are falling away, and sometimes the branch is empty of trees but still the tree is flourishing and is alive. Well, that's one way of talking about flourishing in ministry. Can you describe for us how you think about flourishing in pastoral ministry? Well, I think in the tree metaphor, we have um, a marvelous um, illustration of how um, the, the topography of ministry is up and down, it's good and bad. And to flourish in ministry is not to be on a plateau of achievement, but be able to apply what one learns and believes in the, in the, in the, in the, in the valley and on the mountain, in the sunshine and the rain. So the, 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 the measure of ministry flourishing is not by an even topography, but how does one uh, walk with God, serve God's people in the good and the bad, in the sunlight and in the, and, and in, and, and in, the, in the darkness. Thank you for talking about topography. Uh, we've been calling our journey with these pastors pilgrimages of striving and thriving. So you're talking about topography really works uh, well with that. And on this 
of a pilgrimage of striving and thriving, uh, we're trying to challenge the notion uh, that uh, flourishing in ministry is a straight line and that every, every round goes higher and higher. And uh, I, I was just thinking a little while ago, I think I, I first met you probably 35 years ago, and uh, I didn't realize that. And you recently uh, released a, uh, a new book uh, entitled Witness of Grace. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about your own flourishing in ministry in relationship uh, to, to that wonderful memoir you released? Well, there are two, three things that are very important. Uh, you hit on one of them. It's very clear to me that the flourishing ministry is not to have a straight line and it's not to go higher and higher. One flourishes in ministry, sometimes on the heights, but often in the depths, sometimes in good days and sometimes in bad days. And one of the things that I learned and I talk about in the book is that God's way of leading us is often an unknown path to us. We often have to walk in darkness and be illumined by our faith because we don't understand what's going on. And we don't know what the ultimate, ultimate outcomes of God's use of us. And we also understand that when we look back, you know, I always talk about we look forward in faith but we can only see grace when we look back over our shoulders and see what God has done. So when we see grace show up in our lives, we're really looking back. And it is in the, it is in the, in the uh, dissecting of God's grace that we see uh, how God has blessed us and how he's carried us. And the renewal for the preacher and minister is to be able to recall what God has done and know that what God did was not because of me or because of my intelligence or my uh, innate gifts, but in fact, it was, a, it was a gift of God's grace. And uh, I say that in the book because in my own life, that has been the, the real marks of God's, I, I, one of the great joys I've had has been able to see where God has led me and see his evidence of his grace because if it had been up to me, I'd have destroyed myself. But it was up because of his grace. So the flourishing ministry is to have a constant conscience, consciousness about God's presence. If you can hold on to that, your ministry can flourish. It is only when we are absence of the consciousness of God's presence that we run into the darkness of uh, despair and an unflourishing, unfulfilling uh, ministry. One of the aspects of our, uh, what we call our formula for flourishing talks about how important context is for the content of ministry. Can you say a word to us about how your context of ministry has informed the content of your ministry? Yes, I, I would agree with that statement. Um, that context informs content. And whenever, one, and whenever one provides content that is not informed by context, one uh, risks being irrelevant. Uh, what, what I have found in context has been that the various contexts I've been called to serve in have instructed my behavior. You, you must take in consideration the context that you serve in 
in order to be in order to flourish to use your word to order to flourish you must one must take in the context on my journey i have been informed by uh four outstanding uh contexts one has been the the role of a local pastor and that that is informed by preaching that is informed how i serve ministry how i respond to people and and that that has been a very uh it's been blessed. It's been a flourish function and dynamic, and I and that's been that's been the continuity of my journey for the last fifty two years. I've always lived in the context of pastor people, but in addition to that, I've been uh, challenged by the context of denominational uh, engagement. And for thirteen years, I was general secretary of the National Baptist Convention. That context informed how I define ministry, how I executed ministry, and different from just being the local pastor while still being that. And then there's the context of uh, being a, the uh, general, being, <clears throat> being the chairman of the board of the university at Virginia Union for the last 15 years. That context, context of students and faculty and institutional inheritance and call the academic, uh, that all is, that all has flourished by the journey. And then this ecumenism through the Conference of National Black Churches and the World Council of Churches. So all of these contexts have informed my behavior and have um, caused my ministry to flourish. I feel fulfilled in the context. The context has helped to reinforce my sense of self. There are a number of people who would look at the, the life and witness of W. Franklin Richardson and just say, ooh, I, either I wish I could be like that or I'll never be like that. But um, all of us have areas where we have had to develop our capacities. Uh, can you give us an example of some area in terms of your capacity as a leader where you had to grow and develop? We're always getting prepared for the next episode that God is going to place in our lives. And the cumulative experiences that we go through inform how we deal with the future challenges that we're going to face. And so uh, from the very moments of my earliest beginnings, uh, I found myself constantly being prepared for where, and, and, the, and the real power of it is that I didn't know what I was being prepared for. Uh, I didn't know the curriculum. I just trusted God and, and seized the opportunities that came and affirmed uh, the, the opportunities and used them. And they led to the next episode. Like I say, you really can't understand what God is doing until you look back at what God has done. Uh, in some of your uh, trajectory, you served in your early pastoral life in Richmond, Virginia, prior to being called to Mount Vernon, New York, which are geographically very different places and one would assume temperamentally different places. Can you give us an, uh, a couple of examples of some kind of ministry content that was present in a place like Richmond and that would be different in a place like Mount Vernon. 
Uh, let me tell you some. First of all, let me tell you something that is that is not this that is not dissimilar. Uh, the people I met in Rising Mount Zion Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia, I met the same people at Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York. The people names were different, but per of personalities and motives and approaches were the same. Um, and and that, that previous engagement in Richmond equipped me to deal with what was going on in Mount Vernon. Also, it also prepared me to see down the road. In other words, the problems of the church are not dissimilar to each other by geography. That, that the same people, the same problems, the same issues, and what, what a mature pastor has the capacity to do is to see the problem six months before it happens and start to do prevention or training or whatever. So I think the, the, the one thing I want to say is that there are similarities. There are, there are also differences. Uh, the differences are really informed by the context. You talked about it earlier. The, the context, a more relaxed, laid back context in Richmond, a more anxious, aggressive context in, in Mount Vernon. Uh, th that would be, you know, the, 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 the differences, a more, more, a more laid back context, a more aggressive context. That's what I saw when I came. I think I was, I think I've been more at home in the aggressive, in the aggressive. <laughs> I think I, I think I, I think I got to the laid back too early. I, I think I should have switched that around. I'm ready to go to the laid back now. But <laughs> A word to our listeners, Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. 
Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Dr. W. Franklin Richardson, the lead pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York, and author of the memoir, Witness to Grace. While nobody could do everything, can you think of some ways pastors might imagine, how do I build my capacity to serve more effectively this present age with all of these currents uh, coming at us? Well, first of all, I would encourage all of us to get as much information as we can. The program that we have produced at CNBC is called Trusted Voices, Trusted Content, and Trusted Spaces. Uh, There is where the church can provide its most significant impact on any of these things. Pastors are generally trusted voices. And they, and they got trusted because they've been years of doing ministry to a local congregation. They pastor, they preach every Sunday, they baptize the children, they bury the dead, they, bury, they marry the young, they do counseling, they're present uh, in the challenges of life. And so uh, a pastor is a trusted voice. But also the pastor must make sure that he or she has trusted content. You, you cannot, cannot betray the trusted voice designation by having less than trusted content. So you must make sure that he or she gets the truth and gets as much information about it. That's what the CNBC project is about. I'm convinced that pastors are trusted, have trusted voices. All we have to make sure is that they have trusted content because there is untrusted content in our communities through the internet and through all of that that is uh, diminishing our capacity to respond to problems. Uh, false theories, false information. So if pastors have truthful information and can combat and debunk uh, conspiracy theories, then they can effectively help change conduct in our communities. So what we have committed to is there are 30,000 churches in the CNBC, but we committed to just doing 10% of the pastors to give them this content. The second thing is, the third thing is con- con- uh, space, trusted spaces. So we also are going to rural communities, getting those churches in pharmacy deserts, getting the churches to agree to be vaccination centers. Uh, in there. So we, we're doing that. The, 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 the most, the, the, the place in the country less having vaccines is that swab of the Southeast, uh, starting North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Alabama, right on over to, uh, uh, to the urban centers of Georgia and Tennessee. There's this right on into Texas and so forth, where, where the where the shortage of vaccinations of vaccines are. And so, uh, if we focus on those, we're doing that at the same time. So that's just one aspect. The, as far as the other is, again, the same principle applies. If we want to be effective, we must be informed. We can we got to be informed. So the first place a pastor has to go 
is try to find out as much information he or she can. And when finding information, he will also come up with assets and opportunities. Just got to be open to serve and to have your eyes open and be conscious and use it. Everybody, as you said, can't do everything, but you can find the thing that you can do. Or you can, if you're looking with a sense to be serving, you can definitely find something or some way your congregation can help the situation. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? The most joy I have is to watch young people evolve into their full potential and promise. Now that seems like a little slice of my ministry, but that is the most joyful thing I have is I see children come into our ministry. God, one of the great things about a long pastor, I've been pastor Grace for 46 years and the joy, the great joy is to see children and adults now at different stages of their lives and know and hear them witness to the fact that the church and their faith and God has informed their lives. Bless them. And I, I got kids uh, who've gone to college to, because the church supported them, gave them book scholarships. We've, we've given over a thousand scholarships over my tenure. Uh, well over a couple million dollars worth of support and to see them now, some of them, you know, flowing through, some of them are uh, on the trustee ministry today. Some of them are on the deacon's board, you know. Uh, and then I have sons in ministry and daughters who are preaching all over the country. So to watch the impact of ministry on the lives of people uh, is my greatest joy to see how ministry meets people in their child, inspires them to their uh, biggest place. And uh, and then out of that, I guess, that kind of consciousness grows wanting to be an, an advocate for justice and creating a better world for people to live in. What was the best advice you received about pastoral ministry mm -hmm. along your way? Well, let me tell you, first of all, I need to acknowledge that my life has been blessed a continuous um, of, of pastors or mentors uh, who have at different episodes, nobody of the whole journey, but different episodes, God has placed different mentors to navigate me through. So I guess the, the most important one was my pastor, James Edward Hamlin in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania where I grew up and was baptized, was dedicated as a child. And when I accepted my call in ministry through a lot of different phases, and, and I had flunked out of, uh, well, community college in Philadelphia. My teacher told me in high school that I wasn't college material. I didn't think he was right. And so I went to Westchester Community College and I flunked out, ended up in my pastors saying I felt a call in ministry. And he said, well, you need to go to school. And I said, yeah, I want to go to school. And he said, and I said, but you know, I flunked out of community college. And he said, well, I want to send you to Virginia Union University and see, let them uh, see if you can get in. And I'll write a letter and so forth. So Virginia Union uh, examined me and found out that I had reading impairments. I couldn't read. I could read words, but I couldn't comprehend. And I didn't, I had not developed skills. Well, in Philadelphia back then, there was social promotion. If you didn't, if you came every day and didn't say nothing and didn't cause no problem, they move you on to the next grade without any skills. 
And so I ended up at the doorstep of Virginia Union without skills. And they said, well, we'll, what we'll do is we'll give you a, con a conditional matriculation and put you in remediation to try to correct your reading problem. And if you do it in the first year, we'll continue your matriculation. I did, and 35, 40 years later, a kid who had a conditional matriculation to the university is now the chairman of the board and signs every degree of, of the various schools that we now have uh, at the university. So that advice changed my life that my pastor gave me in Philadelphia way back in 1969. And it is every other door that's open has been because of that door. We have uh, pastors and aspiring pastors in different parts of the country and the world who listen to the podcast. What would be a word of advice you would offer uh, an aspiring pastor or a practicing pastor about thriving or flourishing in ministry? I would say pay attention to every opportunity that is before you. Take advantage of every opportunity for growth that is before you because you have no idea what your journey will call for from you down the road. Pay attention, exploit every opportunity to grow you can in this season so that in the seasons that will follow, you will have the capacity to uh, effectively uh, and competence to effectively respond to the situations that life is certain to bring to those you serve and to you. My last question, Dr. Richardson, is this. Uh, you, in our conversation today, have been amazingly transparent. Uh, you talked about uh, your uh, having flunked out of community college, um, but that didn't stop you. And your the Lord put something in you and put somebody around you uh, to encourage you to go on. Uh, and I remember reading that uh, in your memoir, Wit Witness to Grace. But in the memoir, you started that memoir with a kind of transparency that took me off guard. You started it by talking about uh, a failed candidacy to be the president of the National Baptist Convention USA Incorporated. And for, for full transparency, I was one of your young, your young uh, foot soldiers uh, in that effort. And the fact that you started that memoir with that kind of transparency about that very public defeat, it really surprised me. I knew you'd get to it, but it surprised me that you started with that. Can you say something to our listeners about when, about how to deal when things don't work out? the way you imagined they would, whether it's very public like the election or whether it was more private like the community college. 
talk to us about how these, what are at the moment interpreted as failures, how they deal, how they relate to flourishing and your transparency. You're remarkably honest about that. Well, um, I felt that as I was writing the book, I felt that I had an obligation to try to, I, first of all, I was writing, I wasn't so much writing to this generation as I was trying to write to the next generation. And I thought that in order to be effective, I needed to be honest. And I needed to let them know that whatever achievement you think that I may have made, it was not without failure, disappointment, and betrayal. And I want them to know that that is a part of the journey of being a minister. It is not flowery beds of ease. It is not celebrity. It is in the, in the, in the, in the, in the nuts and bolts of ministry is the hard work of living out one's faith in the face of disappointment, failure, and defeat. And it was also therapeutic for me to be able to free it, to free it, to get it out and to, uh, it benefited me. Uh, but it also was uh, what I learned, come to learn. What I learned from that first chapter, is, and I said it as I got into the book, is that I thought it was a burden, but it was a blessing. That often God moves in our failures to bring us to our successes that often the things that cause us the most pain are the, are the birth pains of something that will cause us the best pleasure. So what I was trying to outline is that don't be discouraged. If you're working for God, don't, don't, don't conclude on any episode because God is still working and God's got some plans that you can't see right now and you got to try to trust him. Trust God. The greatest challenge we have is to trust God. That's the greatest challenge, is to trust God. And I want you to know in, in that episode, I, you know, I, I guess my greatest disappointment was the fact that I had prayed hard and long before I ran for president. And, and, I, I, wouldn't, and, I, didn't, and I wanted the Lord to give me the signal that it was okay to do it. Well, I came to a place where I said, this is what God wants me to do. But after losing, I said, wait a minute, God told me to run. And then it came to me, he told you to run, but he didn't tell you you're gonna win. <laughs> and it's sometimes in losing that we fulfill God's purpose and that we do God's work. And for a later day, he, he will use it as a stepping stone to more pop promise possibility. Dr. W. Franklin Richardson, the lead pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York, and author of the memoir, Witness to Grace. Thank you, sir, for sharing the generosity of your time and wisdom on our podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. Thank you, Dr. Goldie. You stay blessed, man. You look good, boy. <laughs> Thank you much. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in 
on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm-hmm.